day and welcome to the Aussie Pastor Live right here on Faith FM. G'day, my name's Lloyd Grolleman, I'm the Aussie Pastor, coming to you live from our studios in northwest Sydney. Welcome, Hunty. G'day, mate. He's our producer director, and we're always glad to have him on board. Hey, it's good to be here. We've got a good program today. We do. We've got a great interview with Harold Harker. He's a friend of mine, and he's going to be talking about the wild dances. And I'll tell you what, there are some stories that come out of this ancient people that will put the hair up on the back of your neck and make you glad that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. After that, We've got a couple of other really good interviews. Van Ostring, friend of yours, aren't he? Yeah, he's a good bloke. He's a very educated guy. Oh, very knowledgeable. In fact, yeah. he was Cambridge educated in England. Yep. Had, a, had a, a degree there, then a PhD. He's going to be talking about atheism or evolution versus creation. Yes. The atheists versus the God believers. And, and that he will be very interesting. I'm looking forward to yeah, that. Yeah, I've heard him before. He's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. And Joel Ridgway is a young man who went on a great journey to Jesus Christ. I know you're going to find that interesting. So stick around. We're in for a good two hours. God will be with us. And I'm praying that you will be blessed. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Hunty. Yeah, mate. You know the story about the three worthies, Daniel chapter 3, who ended up in the fiery furnace? Yep. Well, the Statler brothers, they're a fairly famous country western singer group in the United States of America. They sung a beautiful song. Yep. On this. And it is a beauty. Let's hear it. Okay. Made 
it's a fun song. It is. Love it. In fact, I first heard that only a few months ago, and when I heard it, I actually went and preached a sermon on it. Really? Yeah, and I, I called the sermon The Fourth Man in the Fire. That's very cool. You don't even remember that, do you? No. Hey, you know what I like about live radio? And I do, <laughs> I do like it, but it also freaks me out a bit. It makes that? me scared. What's that, mate? When I make a mistake, now, our listeners probably don't realise, but I just made a massive mistake. And Hunty, our producer-director, because of the mistake I made in timing, had to bring that song forward. All right. There was a little gap, just a little silent just gap. Just a there. sneaky gap. Did you notice that? Yes. It was like ten. I lose, I lose a point for that gap. No, it was like <laughs> how can you lose a point when I put you on the line and I got things. I, we've got a program here in front of us. Remember, we're doing this live, of course. And and actually, we'll prove it's live right now. It's three thirty-six <laughs> on Tuesday. For those who wonder if we're actually live, okay. <laughs> That means uh, if we ever replay this yeah, program... Yeah, it'll be miles out. <laughs> <laughs> but I put Hunty under a lot of pressure there and we're working hard to tr- try and rejig the program. Anyway, that's what happens when you work with Lloyd Grollam and the Aussie pastor, full of mistakes. Praise God for his grace. Amen. And he is a gracious God, isn't he? Sure. Have you been watching the news this week? I have. Watching it? I read it, you watch I it. I watch it, yes. Um, there's been huge news. I mean, just yesterday... now. I know we are a great test to you, uh, uh, Hunty, us Queenslanders. I'm a Queenslander. Yes, you have been a, recently. A Brisbane boy. We just went in Brisbane down into lockdown yesterday again. That's right. For a minimum of three days. Yes. This virus, you think you've got it beat and it comes back without warning. Yep. Here it is in Queensland. I think today you were telling me how many? There's just been a, another cluster outbreak just a few minutes ago. So it's eight, ten, so or it's three clusters now at various sizes. And how many people can you remember? A dozen or so in each. Yeah. Oh, yep. really? Yep. Eight, one, ten, and another. I'm not sure about the third. That is terrible news. Do you it think Queensland? Do you think they've done the right thing? Do you think our, our our provincial, state, and I was going to say governors, but it's not America. This is Australia. State premiers. They've been very, very fast in this COVID nineteen crisis. To lock down our states. Do you think personally that's been a good thing? Look, I like what Gladys, the New South Wales Premier, has been doing. A very great approach. I have been very upset with uh, Palaszczuk from Queensland. I was not happy at Christmas time for those borders to be closed. Yeah, well, actually, I struggled a little bit with the closure of the borders at Christmas time, as you know yourself, because I've got parents who live just over the border in Redland Bay. I couldn't get, and they're elderly. Yeah. And I couldn't get up to see them. But it was very difficult being separated from them, but what we are going through here in Australia with some border closures here and there is nothing to what's going on overseas. Oh, exactly. We're very blessed to be in Australia right now. I mean, you've got thousands and thousands and thousands of people dying overseas from this terrible virus. Yeah. And, and, and it just keeps popping up. They keep going through second, third, fourth. Some countries are into their, their fifth it, wave. wave. Yep. Uh, it's, it's just unbelievable. And, and here we are in Australia again, uh, on tender hooks, wondering whether it's going to break out here. And I guess again, we're, we're praying to the Lord for his mercy and that he protect us. Yeah. I feel sorry for all those people that made huge plans for Easter, especially those who've bought food for restaurants and hired staff. That's all now. It's changed. very, very difficult, and I, I feel the sympathy too, but I, I tell you, it is better, isn't it, than going through what they're going through overseas. That's true. You know, Very true. Um, the flood last week was, it was a doozer down oh, here, wasn't it? My goodness, it was like, almost like Noah's flood. For those listeners who don't know, we, we actually have two studios. We have our television studio, which is out in the... Us Wiseman's Ferry. Yeah, in the McDonald's Valley. 
Um, and we have just in the front room of my house this radio studio, which is about to move to Hunty's house, actually. That's right. <laughs> that, that's a, beside the point. Still in the high-class suburb of Riverston. This time last week we were doing this program that's pouring down rain. Yep. We didn't know whether we were going to flood or not the studio out in the Hawkesbury. Well, the speed the water was coming up, we were pretty sure that we were going to lose our studio. We were actually getting ready to go out there. Yep. We had our brooms. Yep. We had our hoses. High pressure cleaners. Yep, we had. We'd already talked to the builders about coming out to do the repairs. Yep. Uh, we have a lot of equipment in that studio out there. We were very, very worried about that. Some of it, Hunty, on the floor. Yes. What happened? Well, um, as you know, we all prayed last program together. We prayed earnestly. We prayed. We didn't just pray in the radio program. We are praying furiously the whole time that God would protect us and save us. Yep. We prayed in the name of Jesus. Yep. And our prayers this time were answered. Yeah, we we feel that... um, I'm not real good at estimating, but I think I went out there the other day. Yep. I saw, you know how when the flood comes to a stop, you can see the flood debris around the border of where it stops? Yep. And this is why I'm saying I'm not real good at estimating, but this is how close it came to our studio. Studio, I think somewhere between three and 600 millimetres. Wow. That's wow. how close it was. Wow. And many others around me, as we're going out there in the car, in the four-wheel drive, that was a journey in itself, Lizka, my wife, was looking over into the houses as we go past, into the properties. We saw many people in their houses cleaning up. We didn't. God protected us. Praise God. He heard our prayer. But, Hunty... What about all those who went under? Oh, I feel so sorry for them. I've lost their houses, their businesses, their cars, Is their God livestock. God protecting us and not them? I don't look at it that way, but that's what it looks like. It's a hard question, isn't it? Very hard. But I want to remind you that just the last 12 months, we've had a trailer broken into, mm-hmm. we've had equipment stolen, mm-hmm. we've had... Uh, they set fire to our entire trailer. We lost the trailer completely. All its contents, all our production equipment. My family and I have gone through floods in the past and our house went under. Wow. I want to tell you something, Hunty. Sometimes you live in the light and God answers your prayer how you want. Yep. And the flood doesn't come through your doors. But sometimes the flood comes through your doors. And this is what God promises. This is what God promises. God promises that whether the flood come through your door or whether the flood stop before your door, he will walk with you. Beautiful promise. Now, we're doing something different this week, Hunty. Look, because we're new to radio, we thought it would be nice to see if anyone's listening. So, we have a brand new SMS number. Let me hand that out right now. 0488 880 851. Now, if we have any listeners right now, we'd love to give you a shout-out. Man, I could never remember that number. So, send us your name and tell us where you're listening from and we will give you a lovely little shout-out. Do you know what a shout-out is, Lloyd? Well, how are you going to remember that number? It's so long. 0488-880-851. One more time. 0488-880-851. Okay. We'll get used to saying that, we won't we? We will. Yeah. <laughs> let's, see, let's see if anyone's listening. A shout-out just means a wave. It means to... Yeah, it's a radio version of a wave. Send a text message yeah. and yep. say hi. Yes. Yeah, and if you can do that, at least we know someone is out there and someone is listening. Been a bad week. Floods? Floods. Virus, uh, pestilence. Yeah, disasters yep. everywhere. Yep. And what does Jesus say in Luke twenty eight twenty? When you see these things happening... Look up, 
your redemption draws nigh. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. I want to welcome to the program today Harold Harker. He is a historian, he's a scholar, he is a pastor, he was an administrator. He's also into travel, is a travel guide, a travel leader. Welcome to the program today, Harold. Great. Thanks, Lloyd. I wish we were travelling again. Do you think we will? Well, that's my hope. I just hope this COVID goes and we can see a bit more of the great places around the world. Yeah, I'm hoping the same thing because I want to travel with you. Uh, well, I, I love travelling with you. There's great places to see, as you know. We were actually planning last year to go to Europe and America and COVID knocked that all on the head for us, didn't it? We've had time at home. For those of you who don't know, Harold is actually uh, a part of the Aussie Pastor team. He's invaluable when we travel, isn't he, this fellow? He knows everything about everything. Everywhere we go, he's ready with a comment, a piece of history. It's a privilege. Just a little while ago, Harold, we went through Jordan and Israel together. Yeah, we did. We did, and that was a great 10-day time. Yeah, it was amazing, actually. And we, We're planning to go back there, but we don't know whether we ever will because of this COVID thing. Let's just keep praying. Amen. I want to talk to you today about an interesting group of people called the Wild Dancies. Now, a lot of people probably haven't heard about the Wild Dancies. I want to start off by just asking the simple question, Harold, who are the Wild Dancies? Well, the Waldensies were a group of people who took the Bible as their guide and lived by it, and they lived in the northern western parts of Italy and over into France. Uh, they were known as missionaries as well. They sort of covered a lot of Europe, but these people lived their faith, and the Bible was tops for them. So they live up in the northern mountains of Italy, correct? Yes, west of Turin, toward the French border. It's really mountainous, big valleys, and they they just plotted around these valleys and made their home there and lived there, but it wasn't free from problems through the years. So, so these Waldensies, the name Waldensi, because they're Italians, correct? Or they're French? Yeah. Or they're a mixture of, what are they? Well, they mainly spoke French to start with, but they're in northwest Italy, and they are often called Valdes because they came from these mountains. Uh, and so Waldenses comes from the word Valdes, uh, where their homeland was. Ah, I actually thought it came from a guy called Peter Waldo. Well, Peter Waldo was a guy who lived in Lyon in France. He was born about 1140, and he was a very rich merchant, and uh, he made a lot of money, but then he heard a message that touched his heart, and he gave all his money away, provided for his wife, gave his money away, and became a preacher and got other preachers who were also poor, and his men also sort of join with the the Valdes of uh, northwest Italy and in France. And sometimes people say, oh, Peter Valdo started this group of the Waldenses, but really their history can go back well before that. So when when did the story of the Waldenses start, or we do, do we don't really know? Well, uh, Neander was a church historian, and he says... Way back in the fourth century, 
the Waldenses, and he mentions them, they separated from the Church of Rome when Pope Sylvester was given recognition as the Bishop of Rome and joined with the secular power. And so they sort of went on their own from that time and Peter Voldo came in later and they sort of coalesced a bit. Oh, okay. So, so the Waldenses were originally Roman Catholic. Am I, am I correct in saying that? That's correct. They would have been part of the church. And uh, as the Rome Bishop of Rome began to get uh, political power, secular power, they said that's not where Jesus is, and they sort of withdrew in uh, 325 AD. So you could almost say, and I know this is probably not a term we should put on them, especially too early, but they were really early Protestants. They were. They well. They upheld the Bible. To them, the Bible was tops. It was their authority. It was the word from God, and they wanted to live it. Okay. So this separation of the Waldenses from the Church of Rome, it was specifically because they were reading the Bible, understanding the Bible, and what they found in the Bible was different from what Rome was saying. Is that is that correct? Yes because they were trying to follow the life that Jesus lived. Jesus didn't come as the one who wielded secular and political power, and when the Church of Rome, the Bishop of Rome, became aligned with the secular power, they said that's not where Jesus was, and they separated according to Neander in 325 AD. So initially after the separation, they're up in their mountains they're quite safe, able to practice their biblical Christianity in freedom initially. Is that is that true or have I got that wrong? Initially, they, they practiced their beliefs by the Bible up in those mountains in Italy and across in France, and it, that was fine for many hundreds of years probably. Okay. Then we get a guy called Huss come along. He's a bohemian, yeah. correct? That's right, he lived over in Prague. Tell us a little bit about Huss and his connection to the Waldenses. Well, Huss was a guy who uh, his mother took him and he went to the University of Prague. He became the preacher in the, the great chapel there. But he was influenced by the writings of John Wycliffe from England and by these Waldenses because the Waldenses had sent missionaries two by two right through Europe and had started little groups who followed their beliefs and Huss said, yes, this is the Bible, this is what I want and he was very much influenced by Waldenses and by John Wycliffe. And Huss went on to be one of the major lights of the Protestant Reformation. He sure did. He was finally called and gave his life in the town of Constance and... uh, He's even today revered as a great leader of the church in uh, in the Czech country and his statue is in the main square of Prague. And so he is reformed. He isn't the main church, but he was the reformed church and led people right across Europe. He was a man who stood up very tall for his faith and for standing true to the Bible. Tell me briefly what happened to Huss in the end. Well, Huss was uh, preaching and they didn't like him and he didn't find what the priests were doing and and how they were living uh, uh, the same as the Bible. And so he said, we've got to do this. And he exposed 
all the corruption that was in the priest at the time, and he was finally called down to summoned to a trial and for his faith, and he knew that this would end in death, and mm-hmm. it did. Yeah, he was. We burnt. can talk about Huss another time. Yeah. Let's do a full story on John. Oh, Hart. I, I think so. He ended up being burned to death, but it's a very at the stake. But it's a very, very. Uh, challenging and sobering and inspiring story. Let's go back to the Waldenses for a moment. Um, So the Waldenses had a major impact on the Protestant Reformation. Um, Let's have a look at some of the differences between the Waldense Church and the Church of Rome. Uh, The Catholic Church had priests. What did the Waldenses call their pastors? Well, they took the verse that Jesus said, don't call any man father uh, in a religious sense. He wasn't talking about your father of your family, but the priests of the Catholic Church are all called fathers. And the Waldense said, no, we won't do that. We'll call them like an uncle. They call them barber in their language. That meant uncle. And these uh, men were their leaders are barbers, but they weren't called father because they said, Jesus said, don't call them father. Were they full-time, were the Waldensi pastors full-time paid pastors? No, they weren't, Uh, but many of them, they did just like Mormons do today and send people out across the world. The the Waldenses sent their young men uh, and they put bits of scripture in their clothes and they went right through Europe talking about Jesus and how you're saved and how you should live by the Bible. So they, so they, they, so they, they would sew the Bible into their clothes. They'd head out down into the plains of Europe. Would they come back? Well, if they, if they could, they would, and they often did, but many of them didn't come back. But they did light the light of truth right across Europe. There are probably hundreds of little dots right across Europe that the Waldenses made their contribution to what we would call the Reformation. Where were those young men, I guess, and women, trained? Just in the home, in the church? Did they have a college? Where were they trained? Well, they had small number of small colleges. One, of course, is up in the mountains beyond Torripolici. You can go to a little um, rude cottage. It's just two or three rooms, but and there there's a stone table. They would copy the Bible. They would know what the Bible said. And from this mountain little school, God used them and a few others like it to send hundreds of people right across Europe to stand up for Jesus and for the Bible. So they lit the flame of the gospel in Europe in a very dark age. You said many of them went out, some came back. The ones who didn't come back, were most of them martyred? Probably. Uh, you've got to remember, in the uh, we had great times of martyrs from France and Italy. You know, we could talk about the St. Bartholomew's Massacre and the Huguenots. The, the Waldenses were hated just as much as the Huguenots. And the Bible, it was not allowed to have the Bible, and so that's why they hid it in their clothes. Well, bits here and there. You know, it doesn't make sense to me, and I'm just going to ask this question. Why were the Waldenses hated? They're taking the Bible, the story of Jesus, of his mercy and his grace and everything he offers. And both you and I are followers. We're disciples of Jesus. We know what it's like to have Jesus in our hearts and the joy and the peace that he brings. 
Why were they so hated? What was it in medieval, dark ages Europe that caused these young men and women, bright, full of the joy and the Holy Spirit, they go out, they're, they're no threat, are they, to the politics of the world? Why are they hated? What's going on? Well, you've got to remember, in those days, the Bible was only in either Greek or there was the Latin Vulgate, and so the normal people probably couldn't read it too easily. Yes. And these people, they they knew it, they lived by it, but the, the problem was that the church of the day had said, the church only can interpret the Bible. No one else ah. can have it, only the priests. And that's where the, the problem lay. So they were putting the Bible in the hands of the people. Yes, they were. And you do that, the people get set free from the church and everything that's going well, on back then. Jesus said, if you do this, you'll be set free. Yeah. And that's true. Well, in 1487, let's, let's go to some specific stories. In 1487, yep. Pope Innocent wanted to kill Waldenses. Was it because they were taking the Bible to Europe? Well, yes, because they were lighting these little fires of reformation right across Europe, the Pope said, that's got to stop. And he made a declaration, said, look, whoever kills a Waldensian will have pardon for his sins now and the right to keep any of their property, their house or their land or their trees or anything. And so this made them wanted people and people could kill them for anything. Would the Church of Rome send armies up into their valleys? Well, this led to a a, a great a general by the name of Catanay who sent 15,000 troops up there to just wipe them out. This is the, oh, what, this so, is the great war, the first war with the Waldenses. So you're talking about massacre, really? You're right, and how, they did. How, how many Waldenses would have been in the valleys? Do we have any idea when this happened? I don't know the exact number of that. They weren't in their millions. It was a smaller group, but they were very, uh, and they married within their group, so they yep. stayed there, uh, and, and then they travelled, and that, but people knew these are the people who keep the Bible and want to share it. So imagine this, Harold, 15,000, uh, soldiers coming up on behalf of the Church of Rome to massacre this small group of believers up in these mountains. Did the Waldenses have an army? Did they fight back? Well, they either they ran up into the caves and the hills. Um, one time they were told by the, the powers that be, you have to put up these soldiers in your house and care for them. And, of course, on a certain day they would kill them. But most of them ran for the caves and the, the top of the mountains to try and get out, and then these soldiers gradually caught them up and in one place. You know, if you go to Torre Polici, yep. there is this knobby hill yeah. uh, above them, and that's uh, called Castelluzzo, and they got up there and they actually threw people off the top to their death on the rocks below. Yeah. Is that the place where the river ran red with their blood? Well, the river there... Uh, is another place, but it does go down past there and comes down through the town, and it did because they were being killed everywhere. 
So were they driven out of their valleys? Because this happened over, this wasn't just a one-off. The Waldenses suffered persecution over hundreds of years from Rome. Did, did, did they, were they ever driven out totally from their valleys? Yes, well, the, the big Easter massacre of 1655 when 15,000 troops went in, they all went out and they had to go for, they fled for their lives to Switzerland and to Germany. They virtually had to leave their homes and go. And now, there were probably this is, no one left. This is not a train journey or a bus journey or a, a ride on the freeway. They had to actually go across the Alps to Switzerland, which was largely a Protestant, well, there was big sections of Protestantism, Protestant counties, uh, cantons or whatever they, they were called where they could go for protection. But they had to go for a very arduous journey. They were truly refugees across the Alps. Oh, they were. It, the Alps are so high and the, there were no tunnels through like today and they had to go for their lives with what they could carry. They just left everything behind. Men, women, children, babies. Well, yes, some of those went too. And after four years, uh, a group of them were led back in 1689. They call it the Glorious Return. And one of their leaders was a pastor, Henry Arno. And he, for a hundred days, kept them, went from Switzerland through all the Alps and down into their valleys again. So he led the people back. He wasn't just a pastor, he was a great warrior too, wasn't he? He was. And he was able to lead them in their, the, the defence of, of, of their homeland. So they came back. Um, was that the end of the persecution? Well, Britain heard about it and they protested violently to uh, France and to Italy, you can't do this. And uh, at last they were given a little bit of uh, freedom and uh, after that, a few hundred years, they just settled down. But once they got their freedom, the Waldenses lost their missionary attitude. Let's go there in just a second. I want to just look again at England. England was Protestant yep. England by this time. Right. And they looked across at what they saw as fellow believers and brothers, the Waldenses, suffering under terrible persecution, and they protested very strongly. Is that what you're saying? And that was the beginning of the end of the persecution of the Waldenses. It gradually came to it, yes. Uh, by the 1700s, it was down, but the British government protested, and uh, their, po- their one of their poets wrote this nice story about the massacre over there, and that sort of went round the world, and the world became a little bit more tolerant yeah. as the late 1700s came to different beliefs, nothing like it was in the Middle Ages. Well, as we come to the close of their story, you you made the statement that as the persecution stopped, their missionary zeal died. Are there still Waldenses today up there in the northern valleys of Italy? Yes, there are. And a number of them, because their population increased when it was peace, more peaceful time, a number of them went across to South America okay. and became and established a, a base over there. But yes, they did. Um, 
and they, there is a church today. You can go to a number of places up there, little churches in the valleys, the Valdensies, but in the last century they joined the Methodists and became part of the Methodist church today. Do they still hold to their beliefs and truths, and are they still faithful? Oh, yes. You can go into their main church and they have a big picture of a tree and all the branches that were cut off were, were the massacres where all their people were killed. Okay, okay. And uh, they just went uh, and uh, uh, today they still worship and they still have that connection with where they were before. Two last questions. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a Sabbath keeper. I've yeah. heard I've heard that perhaps there were some seventh day Sabbath keepers amongst the Waldenses. Is that true? Yes. Um, a number of people talk about the Sabbath keepers there and uh, the whole group as a whole group didn't keep the Sabbath. And I've talked to the historian, he said, no, as a group we didn't. Yeah. But I believe there were Sabbath keepers amongst them because they found that from Scripture and decided to keep the Sabbath. And final question, uh, Harold, what lesson do you think there is in the story of the Waldenses for us today? Well, if you take the Bible and want to live by the Bible, you might uh, find yourself in in opposition to others who don't want to follow the commandments of God and to be true to him. But if you hold on, they're seen as the stars of that time. What a great story. You know, you you hear the story of Peter Arnold and these other people and you just say, these people stood for God, come what may. And we could be doing the same every day and we need to. Yeah, I, I know of no more stirring story than the stories of the wild dances. A Bible believing, Bible, Bible practicing, Bible faith people who stood tall for Jesus Christ in some of the darkest moments of Earth's history. Thank you, Harold Harker. I look forward to talking to you again where we will find another one of these incredible stories to share with our listeners. Okay, Lloyd, look forward to it. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. I love the stories of the wild dances. Mm, awesome. I've been up to those valleys. I know you have too, yep. Hunty. Yep. Uh, a few years ago, and I remember going up there, and we went, we climbed up, we got up into the the hills, the mountains of northern Italy. They're huge, yep. those mountains. Yep. Where those people live, huge mountains, very narrow valleys. We went up there, and we went to a cave church. One of the places that the Waldenses, when they were being chased by the soldiers out of Rome, would escape to. Now, I'm a bit claustrophobic. We got up to that cave church. Have yep. you been to this cave church? I haven't. We climbed up this narrow trail. It was quite some journey. Not sure you'd make it now, Hunty. <laughs> and narrow was it? <laughs> oh, it's the steepness. Oh, That's right. what would get you. <laughs> Me too. I'm just joking. We got up to the. You, you couldn't see where this cave was. It was a. It was almost hidden behind a bush. Wow. We went through this very narrow cave entrance, and then we we crawled through. And I'm claustrophobic, and I'm getting a little bit urgent. You know what I'm like, Hunty. 
I mean, I can't even sleep in my swag at night when we're out filming and producing for television without it completely open. That's that's how claustrophobic. I've, I've seen you almost lose it in an elevator. Yeah, no, I, I struggle. But we got into this cave that just boomed out into this huge cave. You know, when we got in there, there was another group of Christians. Nice. And I was there with Harold Harker and about 30 pastors. Wow. We got into this cave and they were singing Amazing Grace. And we joined them. This cave church where they would go and worship these persecuted people, it was beautiful. And they truly were, the Waldenses truly were a people of the Bible, quite amazing. And this next song, I know by one of your favourite singers. Absolutely. Michael W. Smith, Ancient Words. I think it's a great song that defines and describes the Waldenses, the Bible preaching, teaching, living people.
That's Michael W. Smith. Ancient words, a beautiful song about the Bible. This book that inspired and held the wall dances through hundreds and hundreds of years of persecution. Now, Hunty. Yes. Back to our number. Now, this number that you can text us on is going to become very, very important to this program. For sure. Because in future weeks, we're going to use this number to talk to you, our listeners. I got some feedback already. Yeah, and we want you to talk back to us. What feedback have you got, Hunty? I said the number too fast. <laughs> so, so say the number slower. Let me have In fact, if, go. if you've got a pen, yes. grab a pen. This is important because over the next few weeks and months, we want to talk to you. Plus, I think we'll put our free offers on the SMS too. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how we'll do that, but yeah, okay. Yes. <laughs> and so you can talk to us. So we, you can ask us questions. And perhaps if we get even up to speed on this, you might be able to ring in live. Well, we'll certainly go that direction. So here's direction. the number. Here we go. Nice and slow. Now, if you've got your pen, you've got a piece of paper, yep. you write it down because go. I can tell you now as I'm listening, I've got no chance of remembering this number unless I write it down. Nice and slow. Hunty, let's hear it. Zero four double eight double eight zero eight five one. Zero four double eight double eight zero eight five one. Beautiful. Now we've got some shout outs, Lloyd. Oh, okay. What a, now a shout out is a text message. Yes. So we've got Scott in Albury. He's he's listening to us. G'day, Scott. Thanks for listening. We've got someone a little closer in Riverston. Uh, what does it say? Hello from Riverston. Great job. But guess what? I recognise the phone number. I think it's my wife. <laughs> Well, of course she thinks you're doing oh, a great job. Robbie in Brisbane, he says, great job. And David from Mirabuka in Perth. Yeah. What he's, what he say? Uh, good afternoon, Lloyd. We started listening at 12.30, WA, WA time. Yeah, because they're on a different time scale yeah. on us, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, so keep the messages coming in. Yep. I'm going to give you that phone number again, 048 Five, one. That's it. Hey, Hunty. Yes. Big problems in the Suez Canal this week. Oh, my goodness. Have you seen the size of that ship? Well, I think it's a couple of hundred thousand tonnes or more. Yep. One of the biggest, what do you call it, container ships, ships. in the world. Yep. It goes into the Suez Canal. We're not sure how it happened. What have you heard? Um, Rumour has it that the side of the ship is so vast that the wind blew and just pushed it into the into the bank. Yeah, the, the, I heard that too. There was a great big wind, maybe 40 to 60 knots. I find that hard to believe. That's actually. nearly 100 kilometres an hour. Yeah, I still find that a bit hard to believe that in a modern day that, that a ship could veer into the bank like that. Those I, ships, I, heard, I heard they fell asleep at the wheel. I heard that the engine broke down. Oh, wow. Rumours, rumours, rumours. Rumours, I, yes. I guess we won't know. It, it took them five, six days to release that ship, they actually brought in a salvage company, yep. the number one salvage company from the Netherlands. Now, this salvage company is something. I was reading up about them. They actually, when they go salvage ships, they sometimes salvage ships in a storm which are about to sink. Did you know, this is what I read, hard to believe, but it's what I read, yep. that they will parachute salvage salvage experts in a storm out of the sky onto the ship. Wow. To save the ship. Good on them. I mean, these guys are guns. Yep. And it wasn't until they got these guys here and they got them working on it that they were able to free this huge 200,000 tonne plus ship. Do you know that that ship is a quarter 
the size, so 25% bigger than other ships that were built in the early 2000s. Wow. So it's 25% bigger, but it's four times the weight. Wow. Don't ask me how they work that out. I know they had to wait for a, for a king tide to lift it up off the bottom. Have they got it off? I believe it's moving right now. They've got it off. Have they? They have. Uh-huh. It's amazing to watch, actually, because they've got this thing off. They actually freed the backside of the ship to start off with, and then they were able to pull it off the bank on the bow and get the thing moving forward, and the Suez Canal is open. You know how much it cost a ship to go through the Suez Canal? I don't know. Between 300000 and half a million dollars for a one-way trip. Wow. I guess it's better than going down around the Horn of Cape. The yeah, bottom of Africa there. Yeah. Hey, do you know how much money they lost a day while the ship's banked up? I think it was a lot. Yeah, it's nearly half a billion an hour, 11 billion a day. It's a lot of money. That That's enough almost to cure world hunger. Well, at least for a little while. Yeah. And, and the amazing thing is it was so difficult to get off. When they got it off, which they've got now, they've gotten it off now, they reckon it's going to be six days before all the bank up, hey, like this for a traffic jam, <laughs> wow. will be through that canal and on the way. It was actually driving up the price of oil. Wow. We were paying more at the Bowser for fuel because of this boat stuck way over in Egypt. Wow. Amazing. That is. The boat got stuck. And I was thinking about that. Sometimes, Hunty, we get stuck. Yes. We get stuck big time. We do. We can get spiritually stuck. Have you ever been spiritually stuck? I get spiritually stuck all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the answers to being spiritually stuck is Bible. read your Bible every day. Yep. Pray. There's no doubt about that. But if you are spiritually stuck right now, like that evergreen great ship was over there in the Suez Canal in Egypt, this is a good time of the year because what's coming up this weekend? Easter. Easter. Now, you know what Easter, people say to me, oh, that's a a pagan celebration. Well, not really. Easter and Passover are pretty much the same time. Yep. Jesus died pretty much at Easter. And if you are stuck spiritually, if you haven't been close to Jesus and he's led you to listen to this today, then why not this Sabbath, Easter Sabbath, why not become unstuck and go to church? That's a great idea. There are Adventist churches open this Easter Sabbath from one end of this great vast country of ours to the other. Saturday. Sabbath, Saturday, most will start at 9.30. Some, like ours at New Hope, start at 10. And most will have special Easter programs remembering what Jesus did when he died on the cross and then on the first day of the week rose again. It's it's a great hallelujah weekend. And if you're stuck, I'm encouraging you, go to church because there's no better way to get unstuck than to go and spend some time worshipping God in church this Sabbath, Easter. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. This new song is a new one to me, Hunty. Yep. I never really heard it before. Why Me by CC. Now, I think you're going to enjoy it. I enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. Let's hear it.
Why me, Lord? What have I ever done to deserve even one of the pleasures I've known? Tell me, Lord, what did I ever do that was worth loving you or the kindness you've shown? to welcome Sven Ostring to the program today. He has a Bachelor of Engineering, Electrical Engineering from the University of Canterbury in England. He also from the same university has a PhD in Computer Systems Networking and from Avondale College University he has a Theology degree and he has, and this is why I've got him on the program today, a passionate interest in the evolution creation debate. Welcome Sven Ostring. It's really good to be back with you, um, Lloyd, the Aussie pastor. Fantastic to work with you. Sven, I've always been fascinated in this particular question. How do atheists, scientists, evolutionists, how do they explain how 
inorganic matter, that's dead, lifeless matter, stones, dirt, whatever. How does that inorganic matter evolve into organic, or in other words, evolve into life? That's a big question, I reckon. What do you say, Zen? So if you're, if you're talking about an atheist um, scientist like, you know, Richard Dawkins or um, Peter Aiken or, or somebody like that, one of the very important things is this, is that in their worldview, they don't have God. So, you, so you're a lucky man, Lloyd. You've got God in your picture. Yeah. And, and so, so you've got an all-powerful, um, all-knowing, uh, loving, perfect, um, intelligent being there. And, and he can, if, if he wants to, he can bring a world um, into being. He can yeah. create a perfect world. Yes. But, but for them, they don't have that option. You know a lot of people, a lot more than I do, who buy this paradigm, this narrative, Yes. Are they comfortable with it or is there a certain discomfort out there in science with this idea? And I really go back to this original idea and it's one I press on my friends who are atheists and evolutionists. I press this one really hard. Are you telling me that somehow, someplace, something, something inorganic became organic? And so, in, in other words, something with no life all of a sudden had life. I think for, for many people, um, including Christian scientists, what they would say is this, is that our colleagues, our evolutionary um, colleagues, have done a lot of work and they have identified this theory and they've got all of the evidence. And so they would say, I need to accept and respect what they have discovered and, and include it into my worldview. That's what they would do. And what you need to understand, Lloyd, and, and I've done a PhD, I've done research, yeah. is that most research programs and projects are very, very narrow. Yes. You're looking at a very, very small area of knowledge. Uh, you know, most people uh, never get to, to really look at the big picture. And so, so as, a, as a scientist, as a researcher, as a PhD, you're looking at this area and, and then you have all your, your friends over there and you, or colleagues, I should say. So you say, we'll trust them with that. We'll accept this. So, so it's a bit like kind of blind faith in many ways, to, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, but when you, and this is your point, or this is where you're, you're heading, when you say, okay, well, let's start to, to go back. Let's start to go back to that warm little pond that Charles Darwin talked about, or that oceans of chemicals, yep. you know, way back in the, the primordial world. And let's see, okay, let's have all of the, these, these chemicals um, mixing and, and yep. interacting. How do you get from, from that to life? How do you get from this ocean of chemicals to a living cell. And that is where people who have really studied this topic, yep. they start to really, um, they start to balk. They start to, yeah. to really wonder what, what is really going on. How did it happen? I'll say to an evolutionist, so you're telling me that uh, um, a tadpole turned into a fish who turned into a monkey who turned, turned you know, I'm, I'm just pulling this out of the, and, and, and through adaption, eventually they, have a human being and I'll, I'll say to them well what about where did the tadpole come from or where did that first cell come from or where did that rock come from or 
and, and then they'll turn back at me and say, well, where does your God come from? Because mm-hmm. you go back on the, do you, do you get what I'm saying? You go back on the evolutionary road and you just keep going back and you keep asking, where does that come from? Where does that come from? So they'll throw their hands up in the air and get annoyed with you. Well, with the Christian thing, we keep going back and where does it all go to? God. Well, where did God come from? What are you going to say? That That is a fascinating question, Lloyd, and it's a question my son actually asked me. And when I go into some primary school classes uh, talking about these things, one of the things that they put up their hand and they say, who made God? Yeah. So let me let me just follow these pathways um, yeah. to back through time. So for in an evolutionary paradigm, what you have is you have you go back 4.54 billion years um, there's no um, planet Earth. You keep pushing back. You go to to 13.8 billion years um, ago, and you have the original singularity for the Big Bang. Mm. And literally before that, there was nothing. Mm. The, the the this entire universe, supposedly in the evolutionary atheistic naturalistic paradigm, came from nothing. Hurts my head a bit, Sven. It does. That hurts my head because even for there to be a big bang, there has to be something or there's no big bang. But that, that is a real, real problem for the atheist, a real, real problem. The big bang is, is not good news uh, for the atheist. Now, let me just be upfront. I don't believe in the big bang, oh. but, you know, it's in that paradigm. So let, let's follow the, the, the Christian, the biblical pathway back. So, so you have our world. You, you go back to um, the creation week. And, and then prior to that, there was no um, planet Earth. And you go back further, you know, uh, there, was, there was no universe as well. And, and there was God. The thing is this, Lloyd, is if we, uh, we need to go to logic. So uh, what we're looking at here is like a, a chain, like a dominoes. Yeah. If yeah. you remember, you know, playing with dominoes as yeah. a kid yep. and, and um, you line up all the dominoes. Um, and then when you hit the first one, they all fall fall down. Um, it, it's re- it's really fun. So what we're doing here is we're following the the chain of causes back. Just you know, just sort of in That's a right. That's right. And and the thing is, when you get back, when you go back through through um, through history, what you need in terms of logic is you need one cause which was not created, which was yeah. not not made that was the instigator that was the instigator the in in you know uh, if you talk about aristotle the unmoved mover the uncaused cause the you know that that is the the original cause yeah and that is god so so for in a simple response to what you're saying lloyd the fact is this biblically logically no one made god god always existed which is which is a hard thought. It is hard, but it's not as hard a thought for me as the idea that we came from nothing. Yes, and that's the question you have. And the thing is, this is that an atheist or an evolutionist might say, "Well, you know, you're you're sort of you know begging the question because you're saying um, you know no one made God." But in in reality, from the atheist, they're claiming the exactly the same yeah, thing. They are. Universe. They're saying nobody made the universe. It came from nothing. So, yes. so we, at least we, we're saying God made the universe. The God made the universe. Yes, yes. So, so, so 
it's a case of following the logic. The other thing with the Big Bang as well is if the whole universe came from nothing, why doesn't that happen all the time? Why don't we see an F-35 fighter jet just appearing in your, your uh, front yard? Well, their argument, their argument would be that over that, well, an F-35 fighter jet could appear in your front yard over trillions of years. Yeah, but, but the thing is, this is... A, that's what they're that, saying, isn't it? They, uh, effectively, well, you'd need, you know, genetics and DNA and genome. Well, it's even more than that because an F-35 fighter jet is inorganic. Yes. Organic life is much more complex than an F-35 fighter jet. That's correct, yes. So the chances of an F-35 fighter jet turning up in your yard over trillions of years is a lot more uh, likely than a human being turning up. That's right. Or the first living cell as well. Well, a living cell, a living cell is, more, is, is far more complex than a fighter jet. That's correct, yes. You know, they've described living cells as, as like a city, a factory city. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really, really incredible. So, and what did the first cell consume for energy? What did it consume for energy? Mm. Well, th- this is the challenge. You know, a, a living cell has mitochondria. It's got a nucleus. It's got a cell wall. It's got DNA. It's got RNA. It's got proteins. Um, and all of these, these things, you know, the, the, the jump, the, the, the leap from an inorganic soup of ocean of chemicals to a living cell is absolutely massive. Yeah, it is. Um, it's really, really incredible. Yep. I think the other thing too, Zven, while we're talking about this, that your atheist evolutionist, our atheist evolutionist friends cannot understand, and, and I understand, I get this, we actually intimately know the creator. Mm. It's not just the evidence out there that we've talked about, we actually know the creator. He speaks to us. He talks to us. He has an intimate relationship with us. So not only do we see the evidence of the creation, we know the creator. Yes. And we get to know the creator so intimately that people will give their lives for him and have done in the millions through the centuries. And there's another very important point, um, Lloyd, as well, is this, is that the creation account is an account of miracles occurring over a a six-day period and then God resting on the Sabbath. It's basically saying that God steps into our world every single day to create another miracle, to create light, to create an atmosphere, um, to to create land and, and, and seas or separate seas, to create the sun, moon and stars. To, to create birds and, and marine life and then animals and then human beings as well and then to rest with us as well. Yeah. This is a God who is involved in our lives and is willing to, to perform miracles for us, and that is very, very important. When you go to an atheistic worldview, what you start to do is you start to erode this idea that God intervenes supernaturally in our world, and that is very destructive for the Christian faith, Lloyd. Yeah, it is. It, I agree with what you said in the first part of this series. That it will be almost impossible for, to be a Christian and, and an evolutionist. The, the two paradigms, the two faith journeys, and, and I know our evolutionary friends probably don't like me saying that, the two faith journeys are completely diametrically opposed. Let me ask you this now. Uh, one of the things my friends from the evolutionary class throw at me is this idea that, look, the fossil record, 
the fossil record is out there. It's proven. It's indisputable. Evolution is a fact. What do you say to that? Interesting thing, Lloyd, is that the fossil record actually supports a creation um, uh, creation account much, much better. Okay. Let me give you the, the reasons for it. Um, there, there's a book called Darwin's Doubt by Stephen Mayer. He got his PhD from... Um, Cambridge University, and he studies what is known as the Cambrian explosion. So, so literally, when you go down through the layers of rock, so do that that geological dive, if I could put it that way, what you find is that you go through the different layers and you find all the different fossils, but you get to the the Cambrian section of the layers, and there's literally there's ex, this explosion of of life in that um, layer with with. Now, when you say Cambrian, explain that for uh, for us simple ordinary people. It, it's just a period of time in in our Earth's history based on the geological. Um, so 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 imagine imagine we have a cake. So think yeah. of sponge cake. You've got your different yep. layers. That's you're getting right. to a particular layer, which refers to a particular period of time in Earth's history. Now, there was an explosion of life then. What's your point? My point is that before the Cambrian period, before that layer, yep. there's, there's uh, virtually no life in terms of complex life forms. So, so what, what, you're, what you're suggesting is that that Cambrian period could be the beginning of the creation of the Earth? What it's saying is that, that the Cambrian explosion points yeah. to this fact that, that life um, existed together rapidly, much yeah. more like the, the six-day creation week which we, gotcha. um, which we see in the Bible. Now, of course, you've got the geological ages which might challenge that, but, but this is really important. The, the Cambrian explosion challenges evolution because what we should see is we should see a gradual transition down through the layers, and we don't. We see an explosion in that layer of the cake, if I can put it that way. Do we see in the fossil records then any evidence of evolution? In other words, do we see in the fossil, in the fossils, the changes that they claim have occurred as you start off with a single cell that evolves into a species and then changes a species, etc.? Do you, do you see that in the fossil record? The simple answer, Lloyd, is no. We don't. We don't see those transitional life forms, the transitional fossils. You know, with this Cambrian explosion, with, with the, the fossils which we see above that layer in the cake, what we see is uh, fully formed complex life forms, you know, much like what we see today, pretty much exactly what we see today. We don't see all of the intermediate steps, and we should. If evolution yeah. did occur then we should see them and we don't. Thank you, Sven. I found that very enlightening and it warms my heart, really moves me to know that I am actually created, designed, made by God. God made. He put me here and he put me on this earth that he made for me, for you. Really appreciate the time today, Sven. God bless you. We'll talk again soon. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Hey, Hunty, 
Yeah, mate. Remember a couple of years ago when I was the pastor at Warunga SDA? Yes. I guess it was more than six or seven years ago. We got the Atheist Club, was it? Yeah, Sydney Atheists, yep. Yeah, the Sydney Atheist Club to come in to our church, and we went actually over the road to the theatre at the Sydney Adventist Hospital, and we had a debate. They actually knocked on our door and said, we want to challenge you guys. Oh, so we didn't go after them, they no, came after they came us. after us, which we were very happy to oblige. So we had this debate, we actually live-streamed it. We did. I think we got thousands and thousands of people. Mm-hmm. So so you've got Wurrunga SDA Church uh, v. the Sydney Atheists. That's right. It was actually a really good debate. Who won? Uh, hands down, our team, which had Sven in it, annihilated them. Uh, are you being biased? Or no, they it? admitted that too. Yeah, I think we've still Sven got that. has the information. We've still got that online somewhere. Yeah, we do. Yeah, in fact, uh, I, but I don't think it's on our website. I think since we moved from Warunga, it's somewhere else. But we need to get that debate up for our listeners. We should. So like, how long was that debate? Was it two, three hours or yeah, something? Yeah, it was quite a long debate. And, and yet it never really, it got technical, but it, it never got really over our heads too much, did it? Depends how high your head is. <laughs> <laughs> I got lost a few times. <laughs> uh, but it was, a, it was a great thing to to have that discussion and to see the power of the truth in this particular uh, and very interesting discussion. This next song, Hunty, by and I've never heard of this lady either. you got to remember when we're choosing songs here for uh, Faith FM, I've got a bank of music given to me from Faith FM. That's right. So I'm going through this music song at a time. I'm probably spending, I reckon, I'm not, I'm not joking, three to five hours a week trying to find songs. Nice. I don't know a lot of the songs, but I'm meeting some new songs I really like. And this artist, again, another new artist to me, Linda McKeshney. Apparently she's been singing gospel music. I, I, I must have too narrow a range, mate, because I'm just not out there hearing this stuff. She's singing gospel music and has been for years and inspiring people all around the world. And this song, God on the Mountain, it's a great song when you're going through hard times.
today, Joel Ridgeway. Welcome to the program, Joel. Hello. When I'm um, doing interviews like this, I feel old because you're just a young man. Is that correct? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I, I feel like I'm getting older, actually. So you're brought up in southeast Queensland. Uh, you were homeschooled. Um, hobbies, sports, what sort of things were you into as a kid? Um, outdoor. I was always into outdoor stuff. Um Especially things like camping, hiking, bushwalking, rock climbing, tree climbing, um, anything in that sort of nature. Um, I really enjoyed that as a younger person. Um, and then as I got older, I did. I got into computers a bit and picked up computers very quickly, and and um, and then got into a bit of you know graphics design and and um, eventually video editing and stuff. And that I guess paved the way for where I am. Yeah. Um, relationships, uh, you're married. I'm, I'm picking that up. Yes, I am. I'm, I'm married and I have um, three children. Wow. The, the oldest is eight and the middle child is six and my youngest son is just turned four. So okay. And do you still live in Queensland? No, I'm in New South Wales at the moment. I'm in, we're in Kurumbong. So what brings you to Kurumbong? Well, I, I work for 3ABN Australia. Yes. I'm, I do um, TV um, directing, production, basically all aspects of television production. I'm involved in some way from planning to post-production and everything in between. So you're um, in media? Yeah, absolutely. That, that has been my, that, that is my life calling. Um, it, it took me a while to get there, but yeah, I, I just love having the opportunity to use media technology to spread the gospel. You mentioned 3ABN. Um, for our listeners, who is who is 3ABN? Yeah, so 3ABN stands for Three Angels Broadcasting Network, yep. and it's a Christian television network that broadcasts family and Christian um, programming all over the world uh, via satellite and internet. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, I, I, I think you're a very interesting young man. And the reason I say that is you've been on an amazing faith journey. And I want to mm. just open this up here right now, and I want to talk.
talk about your faith journey because it is quite different than most people I have met. And you've actually, I don't want to give too much away here, but Joel, you have done something and come out of a movement that Mm. very, very few people ever come out of. And I say that from 30 years of ministry. Uh, mm. Tell us about your faith journey. I want to just open this up to you now. You sh- c- Could you sure. please share with us your faith journey, what happened, and how you've ended up, and I'm talking now your faith, how you've ended up where you are now? Well, my, my parents um, were, I would say, conservative um, Adventists, and I still call myself a conservative Adventist today. They, they did a fantastic job in raising me, and I, I, I really, really appreciate the foundation that they, they laid for me. As all parents, we all make mistakes. My, my parents inadvertently put me in a position where I, I got exposed to this movement called the anti-Trinitarian movement. Now, they don't believe in what, what most Christians know uh, as the Trinity. They believe in God the Father is the only true God. Yes. And the... Jesus is God, that they will confess that, but he's God because he's the Son of God, so in some way inherited his divine attributes from the Father. And the Holy Spirit is not a, a, a separate person, but a the, the spirit and presence of the Father and the Son. So can I just um, can I just stop you there for our yeah. listeners, because this is quite complex really, isn't it, in, in a sense? Yeah. Um, can I um, just... Um, go back through that just really quickly. What you're saying mm-hmm. is they're saying that, let's just go through this one at a time. They're saying that God the Father is God. Mm-hmm. Well, we'd all agree with that, wouldn't we? Yep. Yep. But they're saying that Jesus is God, but he's not really God? Yeah, well, that's, well they will very adamantly say to you that they believe he's 100% God. Yep. In every sense of the word. But when you really, when you break it down, when you start thinking about the fact that God is self-existent by his yes. very nature, you know, yes. then Christ can't have that according to their philosophy because Christ in some way came into existence through the Father. So they're saying that at some time in the history of time, there was a time where Jesus did not exist. Yeah, or, or they'll say it's so far back in the in the ages of eternity that it's you know pretty much eternal, but not you know not quite. Or you know they have various ways of trying to explain that, um, but that's pretty much what it boils down to. There was a time when Christ was not. Yes, and and as Christians, we would argue well, if there was a time that Christ did not exist, then Christ cannot be God because mm. Christ is eternal. Is that right? Mm. That's right. So what you've got here is a significant uh, difference between what we would call the mainstream Protestant and even Adventist understanding of God and theirs, because they're saying, yeah, Jesus is God in that he inherited the the attributes of God from the Father, but he's not truly Yahweh as is the Father. Am I taking that too far, Joel? Yeah. No, that's that's pretty much true. I mean, unfortunately, within this anti-Trinitarian movement, there's no consistency. You'll get different versions of it depending on who you talk to. Oh, okay. Um, And slightly different, uh, you know, they will have slightly different ways of of explaining this idea. 
um, some are closer to the truth than others. Some are, uh, are you know, more way off, you could say. The third one is they're saying the Holy Spirit is not the third person of the Godhead. He's just some. Now you correct me because I might not. I might not get this right, Joel. Are they just saying he's some sort of force that comes forth from the Father or from Jesus the Son? Is that what they're saying? But he's not He's not an entity, doesn't think, doesn't have a personality. Uh, have I got that right? Yeah, yeah basically the, 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 the idea is that they say the Bible is speaking of the Holy Spirit or speaking of the presence of God, the presence yeah. of, of Christ as yeah. a third person. But yeah. it's not really a third person. Did you embrace it then? I used to debate with people on internet forums and, and, you know, try and convince people that I was right and, you know, try and convert them, so to speak. So what happened to Joel Ridgway where you could come from being immersed in, because it, to be, to be honest, as an Adventist pastor, I can tell you, it, it actually is quite a long distance from where, theologically, from where Adventism is. Uh, yeah, yeah, although we, we obviously would have shared with you, as you just said, some of the great pillars of Adventism, the Sabbath, the second coming, what happens to you after you die. Perhaps the foundation stone of everything, of everything we believe is who is God and what Mm. you believed about who God is and what Adventism believed about who God is is quite, it's significantly different, isn't it? Mm. Because yeah, Adventists, well, right. we go around and we'll say, well, Jesus is Yahweh. He is the mm-hmm. high God. He is El Shaddai. He is uh, Emmanuel. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and, and, and is equal with the Father, um, as he himself claims while he's on earth. We talk about the Holy Spirit being the third person of the Godhead who comes down and, and will possess you and gives you mm-hmm. teaching and leading and directing and talks to you and is very intimately involved in your life, whereas uh, um, the anti-Trinitarian movement would be quite a long way from some of those concepts. How did you, uh, I mean, what miracle occurred? And I say it's a miracle, Joel, because I've never seen, Mm. I've got to tell you, in 30 years of ministry, I think you're the only person, I'm just trying to think, that I have ever seen come out of this movement Mm. back into Adventism. What happened? Mm. I'm fascinated. What happened? How did God well, call you out? First, first step in that journey was um, leaving home, and not only leaving home, but leaving the state. I um, I ended up getting a job at a Adventist um, run, well, a lay Adventist run health retreat slash Bible school located in Victoria. I ended up getting a job as a kitchen hand of all things. <laughs> But that's another uh, story. Hey, yeah, that, that is amazing. <laughs> yeah, um, I just was desperate, desperate to get out of the situation I was in, the job yep. that I was in at the moment, and I just was looking around for trying to find some way out, and there was a girl down there that I was interested in as well, so that was kind of a, a, um, an incentive. Did you try to convert them to your <laughs> anti-Trinitarian doctrines? No, or? I didn't. I, I, I didn't want to rock the boat and kind of, you know, cause trouble. Yes. And I was only new there and I just, you know, kind of bid my time. Did they know where and, you uh, came from? Did they know your background? Some of them certainly did. Um, and But no one confronted me over it or, or, or made my friendship with them a condition of, of me kind of, you know, accepting their view. They just yeah. accepted me for who I was. Yes. Um, and that's the second step as to, you know, what is the, in, in the journey is that, 
I was accepted into those circles, you know, unconditionally. Beautiful. Um, no one had any any um, prejudice against me because of you know my background, etc. And then I decided to join up with the Bible school there to actually quit as an employee and and, and join as as a student. <laughs> and, and you won't believe this, but the, the the very first class I took was on the Godhead. Yeah, I can believe that because that's where you start. <laughs> yeah. And um, oh, I couldn't believe it. I thought, what? what am I got myself in for? Once again, I didn't want to rock the boat, so I listened and I put the right answers on paper, but I wasn't convinced. Yeah, the, yeah. the pastor did a good job. Yes. You know, he did a good job, but he didn't do enough to convince me. Yeah. But one thing led to another, and I had various, you know, every now and then something would happen, someone would, someone would say something or, or, or I would I would hear someone say something. I thought, oh, I haven't saw that before. And, and so, yeah, eventually... Um, to cut a long story short, I um, got to the point where I thought, I really need to sit down and just really study this out. How confronting and, was it for you when you oh. are studying this and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's upon you and you come into grips with the fact that the faith really of your childhood, of your parents, yeah. is wrong? How confronting was that? It was very, very confronting, actually. It was very, very difficult because... My parents, to this day, are still anti-Trinitarian. Yeah, um, and I try my best to, you know, shut to, you know, talk with them about it, but yeah, you know, I wasn't able to get anywhere, and um, it was very hard. It was very, very hard. Can I, so, can I put you in your anti-Trinitarian head for a moment? I know it doesn't exist anymore, but I'm really interested in this. Can, can mm. I just ask you some things? Yeah, and, sure. And, and and hit me back with it. How, as an anti-Trinitarian, would you come to grips with a text, say, like? I think it's Hebrews one eight where it says the Father calls the Son God. I, I never questioned the divinity of Christ. Like I believed He was divine fully. Yep. Uh, in every sense of the word, I believe that. Now, when I'm reading the Old Testament and the prophecies about Jesus, and then I read the New Testament, the prophecies about Jesus, I am just convicted deeply that here is God in human form, mm. God incarnate. Mm. In other words, God made human and. One of the things that I guess I've always been so resistant against the anti-Trinitarian movement is because as Christians we believe it was God who got down off his throne. It was God who came down and walked among us and it was God who got nailed up on the cross and it was God who took my sins. It wasn't some... Uh, now you you can correct me here. It wasn't some demigod. It wasn't some part god or some god that came forth who at one stage wasn't there or or or, or wasn't as we know him now. This was God, and that means a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And he, here's another problem: is, is if if God can have a son that is God, yep. And if this whole plan of redemption thing fails, then why can't God have another son and call yeah. him God? That's yeah. right. So that, that was one of the things that really shook me when I um, studied this out. I, I'd never thought of that, to be honest, as an anti-Trinitarian. I'd never even thought about that. So why does it matter? I, I think understanding the fact that Jesus is divine in every sense of the word, like the Father, I think that's vital for us as as Christians and as Adventists because yeah. we believe that, as you were saying before, that it was God himself that came down and and, and died for us, not someone else, or not, mm. not 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 a son that he was able to produce. Um, I think you know God has eternal foreknowledge, and so if if God foresaw sin, and if God was able to beget a son, I think that would put in, into question his his motives because mm. you know what, why didn't God go Himself? Why did He send His son? Wow. Mm. Um, yeah, there's lots of different 
uh, avenues I could hit this from, but that that kind of stands out the most to me at the moment is is, is the you know is the integrity of God's government mm. is, is based on, on the fact that God is eternal mm. and that um, Christ was the legitimate eternal um, God. Yeah, I I, th- I agree with you there. I think it's so important, you know, that that we understand that God did not bring forth someone to mm. go and do his dirty work. Yeah. If the cross is dirty work, and I think it is, it's paying the <laughs> yeah. price for our sins. There's, mm. there's nothing more mm. serious and there's no darkness that any being can go through that's darker yeah. than what Christ did on the cross. And, and God did not create or bring forth, let's not say create, because I think that, that in a lot of mm. ways, uh, does not reflect what they truly believe. Yeah, Christ was not brought forth by God the Father to come down here and do his dirty work. It was the eternal mm. God who took upon himself our dirty sins and yeah. paid the yeah. dirty death price so that we could live. So thank you, Joel. Yes. I no really, really, really hope and pray we can get you on again. I, I'd like to talk about this further because you're a fountain of knowledge on this. You've actually lived it. And, and I really appreciate mm-hmm. and respect your journey. And I've got a lot of time for what you've got to say. So thank you very much, Joel. It's a pleasure. Okay. We'll see you next time. Okay. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. He's an inspirational young man, Joel. Very. And he's been on a great journey. Mm, very and difficult journey. Yeah, he has. Moved out of the anti-Trinitarian movement into the truth of what Christianity is, and that is one God expressed in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And his journey is a good one, difficult, but he's stood up and he made the decision and he went. Mm, very impressive. I, I remember actually on this subject of the Trinity, that is one God expressed in three personal beings, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yep. I had just graduated from college. I got onto the Gold Coast. I've told you this before. I didn't have a single Bible study. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you what is really serious about that. Here I am, just got a brand-new job. Yep. I'm a third-generation pastor. pastor. Brand-new pastor. My grandfather was what they call a sawdust trail pastor. Yep. He's an evangelist. He won... Through the power of the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, he won thousands and thousands of people to Jesus as he traversed all over Australia, yep. setting up tents, running these big mission outreach, people had come in. So he's a successful soul winner. Then my dad, who is still alive, mm-hmm. and he, he's 83 years old in a couple of weeks. Actually, what's the date today? Twenty March, Late March, 30th of March. He's, he's 83 tomorrow. Wow. The 31st of March. It's the 30th or 31st? Today's the 30th. Oh, I'm glad. Or I would have forgotten his You'd birthday. You'd have been in trouble. <laughs> I would, no, yeah, no, he's pretty kind. He's a well, great preacher, your dad. He's a very good preacher. He's a soul winner. So here I am. I'm on the Gold Coast. I can't get a Bible study. No one's interested. No matter what I do, <laughs> how I try, I just cannot get a Bible study. You know what I did? Yep. Some... Two guys, yep. well dressed up, yep. in ties, white shirts, and long slacks, knock at my door. You know who they were? I do. Who? <laughs> Jehovah's Witnesses. They were the Jehovah's Witnesses. They came in, and you know what I thought to myself? I got a Bible study. <laughs> so these guys came in to convert me to their religion. I was bent on, through the grace of God, converting them to mine. Yep. 
Well, did I ever become a Jehovah Witness? No. No, but they confronted me for the first time in my life as a 25, 26-year-old young pastor. They confronted me with what is known as this anti-Trinitarian theology, the idea that God the Father is God, literally God alone. Jesus the Son comes forth from God, is lower than God, was given the attributes of God but isn't God, and the Holy Spirit doesn't exist at all. Mm. He's just the presence of God. And I had never heard anything like it. And you know where what it did? It forced me into the Bible. And Mm. I came to John chapter 20, the story of Thomas. Thomas the doubting Thomas. And Jesus has died. This is the Easter story. He's risen on the first day of the week. Some of the disciples have seen him. Mary Magdalene has seen him. There's excitement. People have seen Jesus, the resurrected Lord. Everyone, it seems, has seen him except Thomas. Thomas says, I don't believe it. Jesus is not risen. I can't believe it unless I touch the, the, the scars in his hands, the scars in his sight. Bend down to his feet and touch the scars in his feet. I will not believe it. And Jesus turns up to Thomas, and there he is. And Jesus says, hey, Thomas, come over here. Thomas comes over and Jesus grabs his hand. Feel my palms. Mm -hmm. Look down, see my feet. Look at the scar in my side. So beautiful. And Thomas falls on his knees. And you know what Thomas says? My Lord and my God. Thomas acknowledges Jesus as God. That's what this is all over. Mm. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. And when Thomas says that, you know what Jesus says? Blessed are you, Thomas, because you believe. Mm. But blessed are those who have not Not seen seen. me and yet still Still believe. believe. Jesus is God. And it's why we worship him. Jesus is God. He truly, truly is. And this next song, Randy Travis, Here I Am to Worship, it's about what we've been talking about. We worship Jesus as God. Praise the Lord.
worship Here I am to bow down Here I am to say that you're my God You're altogether lovely Altogether worthy Altogether wonderful to me Here I am to worship Here I am Here I am to worship, and it's all about worship, and Mm. Jesus is worthy of honour and worship and praise and glory. We get to heaven, hunty. Yep. I'm going to fall down on my knees, and I'm going to worship Jesus, and I'll acknowledge him as I do now, as the great God, the Yahweh of the Old and the New Testament, the great God of our world and of the universe. I'm looking forward to it very much. Hey. Yeah. That SMS phone number. Oh, yes. Now, okay. the reason, the reason, Hunty, that I want to keep putting this SMS phone number out is because we're going to use it once we really get going a lot as we interact with our listeners. For sure. So what is it? Okay. Zero four double eight double eight zero eight five one. How long do you think it'll take us to learn that one off by heart? Uh, I'm old. It'll take me forever. I'd say within the next two to three years, <laughs> if we survive, we'll get that phone number yep. down. Yep. 0488880851. Beautiful. Now, Hunter, you've got an idea. Yes. Look, you know what, listeners, if you'd like us to pray for you, send us your requests. SMS us your requests, and Pastor Lord and I will pray. And we will do it. We're not just going to say that. We actually will do it. Zero four double eight double eight double eight zero eight five one. Absolutely right. If you haven't got that number yet, you will because you will. we'll keep talking about yep. that number we until <laughs> while this radio program lasts. <laughs> we'll be talking about that number. Yep. I want to just spend a little bit of time now. We haven't got a lot of time, Hunty, on prayer part three, or I could call it the Bible part one. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very important subject. Yep. I have noticed over the years more and more people leaving Christianity. And it makes me as a pastor feel very uncomfortable. Why are people leaving Christianity at this time in history? Now, it's not something we talk about a lot because when we're talking about Christianity, when we're talking about Adventism, when we're talking about our church, especially our church, we want to talk about the good things, hunty. We want to talk about all the people that are coming to Christ that are finding what we've found. But the reality is that many, many people are leaving. Did you go to an Adventist Christian school? I did. Good how times. Many, how many of the students, did you go to year 12? Yes. How many of those students are left serving Jesus as Adventist Christians? Yeah, that's very sad. I think of my own class, year 12 class in Brisbane Adventist High School. How many are left? So, so what is happening? Why do so many people leave Christianity when they've got everything, when they've got Jesus? And I have a theory. You know what it is? What's that? I think it's because they think Jesus 
doesn't talk back to them. Really? Jesus doesn't exist. Jesus doesn't talk to them. So they get get on their knees and they pray, and it's like their prayers go to heaven. That's as far as they go. They don't hear anything else, uh, anything back. And so for them it's like I'm serving a dead God. And if you're serving a dead God, well, why do it? Exactly. Now, I'll tell you something else. When I'm doing Bible studies, because I do Bible studies with people, I go around to their homes, I yep. sit under their table, yep. I open the Bible and I show them how to know Jesus. One of the most important subjects I talk about is this one. How do I hear the voice of God? Does he exist? Will he talk to me? Yes. And it's a pretty important subject. Sure. And I reckon the reason people leave God is because they don't hear God. So they might try to worship him, they might try to pray to him, they might even go to church, but they're getting nothing back. Well, that's what they perceive. Yep. And because they perceive they get nothing back after a while, they throw their hands up and say, well, why should I do this? And yet the reality is, and it is Easter, that we serve a risen Lord. And Amen. if we serve a risen God, if he truly is alive, well, surely he's going to interact with us. And if he doesn't interact with us, if he doesn't guide us, if he doesn't lead us, if we don't hear his voice, why do we do this? That's a pretty good question. It In is. fact, the atheists out there, we talked about them a bit, the evolutionists, they think we're deluding them ourselves. Oh, your God doesn't exist. I know he does, but they'll say that. And one of the reasons they say it is because he never talks back. You never hear from him. There's no leading. There's no guidance. It's only in your imagination. And what makes it worse is sometimes in Christianity you hear people claiming to have heard the voice of God, and yet they're claiming crazy stuff. Mm. And so even that brings disrepute upon the cause and causes more confusion out there in the world. And, 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 and yet the reality is, the fact is, you can hear the voice of God. Correct. And today I want to share with you how, and then a, a quick story, a fairly recent story actually, one of the ma- most ama- amazing um, experiences I've had with God. And yet I, I, I just want to assure you, God is there, God is alive, and God talks. And I'm going to prove it today. And if you are prepared to try what I'm about to advance and share with you, this first week you will hear God speak to you. Wow, that's a big call. I know it. I've been doing this for years and years and years. I say to my Bible studies, I'll say it again, when I sit on their tables, listen, if God doesn't talk to you, don't do this. Can this Bible study stop me coming around? But the fact is God is alive and God will talk to you and God will lead you and God will have the most intimate relationship with you. I want to look at a couple of Bible texts and then I want to illustrate this. And, I, and now, Hunty, have we planned this? Have we talked about this Bible study yet? No. The only we thing never I do. listeners, the only thing I've given Hunty is the two Bible texts yep. Hebrews and Romans. Nothing more. I have not talked about this. We have not planned it. So we're going to, I'm going to talk to God real live now, Hunty. Yep. But before I do, I want to give two Bible texts Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. I think you're going to read it from the New King James Version. Go sure. for it, mate. And, and by the way, before you do, yep. sorry, yep. if you've got your Bible, open up and follow along with us. Romans, and, and in this program, have your Bibles with you all the time. You never know when we'll use That's it right. and open it. Right. Romans ten seventeen. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith, believing God exists, comes through what? Hearing. So you've got to hear something. And where does hearing come from? The Word of God. What is the Word of God? What's another word? That's the Bible. Yeah. Faith, believing God exists, comes from hearing. Where do you hear God? Now, don't be disappointed. This is the most powerful thing I think you'll ever hear. Hearing comes from the Bible. Listen, I've been walking with Jesus more than 30 years, hunty. 
Yep. 99.999999% of God talking to me comes from my Bible study. And I'll share with you in a moment how powerful that is. But let's move quickly. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The Bible has to say something about the Bible. I like that. What does it say? For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Okay, so the word of God, which is what? Alive. Yeah, what is it though? The word of God, it is the Bible. Bible. So the Bible is alive and, as you just said, powerful. Powerful. This book is not a dead book. When you open the Bible, and this is how I say you should do it, and I want you to try it this week. Look, people say to me, where do I start? I want to hear the word of God. I want to hear God talking to me. Where do I start? We can start in the Psalms. That's a good one. Yep. Any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, they're fantastic. Hey, I'll give you one out there that I really like. A lot of people would never say, oh, I'll start here, but it's just such a fabulous book, the book of Isaiah. Yes. Oh, God will talk to your heart. But here's the thing. God will talk to you intimately and deeply as you're reading the Bible. The Holy Spirit's on you. The Holy Spirit has possessed you. He's opened your eyes. He's opened your ears, and you're reading the Bible. Hunty, hunty, listen to me, mate. Yep. God will talk to you. Amen. It's God talking to you in your culture, in your time, in your context, through the Bible, directly to you. People say, oh, Grolleman, you're crazy. No, I'm not crazy. This is a fact. God will talk to you. For sure. Now, most of my friends and those who attend my church know that Oh, in 2008, that's a long time ago now, isn't it? 13, 14 years ago, I went through a fairly um, difficult divorce. Mm. You knew me back then. I did. You were my friend. In fact, you came to work with me on the tail end of this Mm. divorce. And it was a. The black dog was still hanging on. It was a very difficult time. Mm. But you know, God was good to me. I moved through that experience. I, through God's grace, and it took a long time, didn't it? Yep, I got out of it. You did. Uh, you never get out of a divorce without damage. But many years later, I met this beautiful girl called Liska. And I think it would be fair to say that Liska, who has become my wife, had a very difficult time with me early on as a <laughs> as a boyfriend and hunty. He used to spend hours trying to um, I was there. give me counselling and help me through. You were very blessed because she loved you a lot. She did. And I, I, I learned to love Liska. And it came time for us to get married. Here's a weird thing. I was sure that this girl was for me. I knew that she was with me. But when I opened my Bible, now this is, as God is my witness, this is my testimony and it is true. And I'll unpack this over the next few weeks and, and probably the next month or so. Yep. So this is not the last time, listeners, you're going to hear this. I'm going to spend some time with you over the next few weeks on this because it's very, very important. But as I would do my Bible study, God was telling me in my Bible study, as strange as this might, might sound, and you've got to try it to experience, he was saying, Lisk has got something to tell you. I think this is strange, this is weird. I wasn't game to go back to her and say, the Lord has told me in my Bible study, you've got something to tell me. <sighs> Eventually, I said to Liska, look, I feel like I'm going a bit crazy. I'm going to go out to my farm and spend a few days there. I went out there. Every time I opened my Bible, didn't matter where I was, God was saying to me, talk to Liska. She's got something to tell you. Eventually, I rang her up. I ring her up and I said, Liska, look, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I've been in my Bible study and God's telling me in my Bible study 
that you've got something to tell me. This is how real this is, Humpty. Yep. I, rem- I, rem- I remember it. There was silence on the end mm. of the phone. Mm. And then she started to cry. And she told me what she had to tell me. I'm not going to tell you what that is, but I'll never forget. But that wasn't the end of the story. As I'm doing my Bible study, God told me that I had something I had to tell her. Mm-hmm. I didn't do it. And we paid the price for that later on in the marriage mm. because I didn't do it. But as you get into the Bible because it's alive, because it's got the Holy Spirit in it, it's not just a book about stories and theology and doctrine. It's a book where God talks to you. Correct. He will rebuke you. He will pat you on the back. I can just tell you, I haven't got the time today, story after story after story of God's leading of me through my Bible study. Intimate direct leading in the day-to-day affairs of my life. Yep. I don't know how people make decisions now without being in the Bible seeking God's counsel there. How would you dare marry someone as a Christian if you hadn't first gone to the Bible seeking God's wisdom, God's leading from there? That's right. And God has rebuked me. He has disciplined me. He's patted me on the back. He has supported me. He has carried me through my Bible study as I listen to his word. It's amazing, Hunty. Mm, totally. So my challenge to the listeners this week is open your Bible. Go to the Psalms. Go to Proverbs. Go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Yep. Or if you want to get way out there, go to the book of Isaiah. Read the passage slowly, verse by verse. Read a verse, stop, and say, is God telling me anything? If he tells you something from that verse, write it down. You may only last five or six verses, that's fine. At the end of your little Bible study, you've written down what God told you, get on your knees and talk to him about what he told you in that Bible study. I'm telling you, it will just blow your life apart. Absolutely. Because all of a sudden you will have God in it, God leading you, God directing you, God being your God in your life.
of the wind you are the creator of all and from heaven you make a cry to us today come talk to me lord lead our listeners gently into the bible send i pray in the name of jesus of nazareth the holy spirit the third person of the godhead with them and i pray jesus that they will hear your voice they will see your voice and begin a great adventure in life with you. Is my prayer in Jesus of Nazareth's name. Amen. My name is Lloyd Grolleman. I'm the Aussie pastor and I love you. But Jesus, the great God of the heavens and of our earth, he loves you so much more. See you next time. Thanks for joining the Aussie pastor. If you enjoyed today's program and would like to find out more about Jesus, our ministry, or ways to support us, go to findjesus.tv. 